welcome to my hearth. Well, here we are, still in slightly controversial territory. Last time we were contemplating whether the life of Christ, as depicted in the Bible, was written as a type of odyssey. And today we're going to consider what do we mean when we talk about a type of Christ in storytelling. The story of Christ is so incredibly strong in the Bible that it has its own iconography. It has very strong symbols from the crucifixion, the cross itself, the crown of thorns, the spear. All these things have another level of meaning, in fact many layers of meaning, as a result of the incidents in the Bible. Moreover, the mere fact that Christ is God on earth, Emmanuel, God with us, we talk about Christ as the incarnation of God, God in human form, literally God in flesh, that that has a very strong level of meaning. Christ has all the attributes of being human. He is tempted, he has emotions, he can love, he can get angry. If you think about the powerful elements of storytelling, the fact that the story is going to concern itself with the physical, with the emotional, and with the spiritual, that is all there in the life of Christ. Therefore, it is going to have great potency as a story. Anyone who encounters the story is going to be intrigued by it and ask lots of questions. Anyone who encountered the story as a child will have a favourite bit of it, some images that will stay with them. And images and phrases from the stories will follow people all the way through their lives and they will recognise them. All celebrations in Western Christian culture will have elements of them in the celebration itself. The story continues and is a thread running through our lives. Now, what do we mean by a type of Christ? To help make this clear, I'm going to take us to the Middle Ages. The church at that time was the Roman Catholic Church, and they were always fighting against paganism, which was very strong, and especially in storytelling. Paganism used examples from nature to try and explain the human condition. The natural cycle of the year, spring, summer, autumn, winter, meant that there were different aspects of nature that were used in storytelling. Now, the church had learnt from the Roman civilization that if you can't beat something, you should join it and make use of it. The way that the church did it was to incorporate the pagan festivals of the year into the calendar 
of the church. The pagan festivals were based on what was happening with the sun at any particular point of the year, sun, S-U-N, not sun, S-O-N. The further north you went in the northern hemisphere, the more the journey of the sun became apparent. The two equinoxes, where the day was equal between day and night, and the solstices, where with the winter solstice the sun was at its shortest duration of being above the horizon, and the summer solstice, when the sun had its biggest duration above the horizon. These formed the structure of the year for people. They knew that in the winter, when there was a lack of sun and it was very cold, it was very difficult to grow things. But they also knew that in the summer, when the sun was at its height, that was the major growing season, and people relied on creating their own food. The pagan societies held their own celebrations when they knew the sun was doing what it should do. You can imagine that in the depths of winter, when the sun was almost not there at all, it was of great joy to people when you realised that the days were lengthening. They held great celebrations when they realised the sun was coming back, and they called that Yule, Y-U-L-E. They burnt a large log of wood, which kept going throughout the festivities, which was known as the Yule Log. And there was a worship of the plants in the forest that were still green in the middle of this dark winter season, which for most people were the fruits of the holly and the ivy. If you think about how strange some of the Christian festivities are at Christmas, you can see that that's because the pagan symbols of Yule have been incorporated into it. Remember the church had learnt from the Romans, if you can't beat them, join them. Make their symbols and iconography part of the Christian ceremony. Is it not weird that we celebrate the birth of Jesus on December the 25th? That's because the heavenly solstice happens on the 21st of December, and it took the people at the time several days to realise that, yes, the days were getting longer again. We sing songs about the holly and the ivy at Christmas, and never consider this is really strange. Yes, we use the iconography of the holly having thorns to represent the crown of thorns at Easter, and the red of the holly berry to represent the healing blood of Christ, but it's still a very strange song to be celebrating the birth of Christ. It's even got the rising of the sun in it. We're weaving two stories together to make sense to the people of the time. Everyone always complains about the fact that each year Easter 
is a different date. Bear with me, because I'm probably about to say this wrong, so I need to think before I say it. Easter is the first Sunday after the first full moon after the equinox of the 21st of March. That means it can be any date from the 22nd of March to the 21st of April. That's because the pagan festival at that time was to do with the worship of the moon. Now, I want to concentrate on the Midsummer Festival. There is some thought that Stonehenge in Wiltshire is a giant sundial which helped the pagans measure the journey of the sun. Nowadays, with all our fantastic scientific advances and developments, we can measure the accuracy of the length of the sun's days without having to go to Stonehenge to check it. However, it's generally recognised now that the longest day is the 21st of June, with Midsummer's Day being the 22nd of June. In certain societies, the celebration of Midsummer was on the 24th of June, which is also seen as St John the Baptist Day. That makes it mirror more closely the 24th of June mirroring the 25th of December for the two festivals. The festival was known as Corpus Christi, the body of Christ, and part of its festivities was to take the symbols of the church outside the church and parade them through the streets. We've all seen in more Mediterranean countries effigies being brought out into the streets of a particular town from the churches. But at Corpus Christi, this became a parade through the town with the symbols of the church. Now, by medieval times, the guilds became an important factor in this parade. The guilds were groups of people who were joined by the fact that they all did the same sort of job. There might be a guild of coopers or barrel makers. There might be a guild of carpenters. There might be a guild of people who did very specific skilled work, like stonemasons, stone carvers. They might be a guild of silversmiths or goldsmiths. If you were a young man in medieval times, you might be apprenticed to a guild to learn your trade, and you would stay with that group of people throughout your entire working life, and you would be known by being part of that particular guild. In fact, you might even acquire a surname to do with your profession and your guild. So you would change from John the Smith to John Smith. It was a way of people knowing who you were. It became part of your identity. 
the study of names and their meanings is very important in storytelling, and I'm sure it'll keep coming up again and again in these podcasts. Now, you paraded through the streets with the emblems of the church to show Christ being throughout your society, your village, your town. And so important was it that you were connected with these symbols as part of your membership of a guild, that you might want the image that you were carrying or the symbol that you were carrying to be connected to your profession. Now, obviously, if you had a trade that was also still present in the times of the Bible, finding a right image or symbol was much more simple. If you were a shepherd, for instance, there are lots of mentions and references in the Bible to being a shepherd. If your profession was not available in the past, then you had to be a little bit more inventive in the way that you dealt with the stories of the Bible. Now, there was a progression as to the development of these parades through the town. It started off with people just carrying an object from the church that meant something to them. Then it developed into a banner with an image or a picture on it. And we've all seen modern parades through towns with people carrying banners which are relevant to them. Eventually, instead of walking through the town, you went through the town on a little cart. And that allowed you to become the picture from the Bible. You became what we would call a tableau vivant, a living picture representing the story that you were telling. The final development was that instead of just standing there and being the picture, it became like a little play where you enacted the story that you were representing. And we will continue with these stories depicted by medieval tradespeople next time.